0: If you would, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Chronicles 29. I was looking down here, and I don't know what page that's on in your pew book. My Bible. It's on page 733. I don't know what's in your... But uh, if you would... Uh, be turning in your Bibles to First uh, Chronicles chapter twenty-nine. It's one of the historical books of the the Bible. It's it's a uh, in a sense it's an it, it takes what we learn from First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and it it repackages it in a way that uh, guides us to see what God is doing in His covenant with with David, and more importantly which consists with the theme of the Old Testament, uh, there's, there's a theme that runs constantly through the Old Testament, and it's this. God says, if you will obey me and you will follow not only my commandments, but my prophets and the kings that love me, then there's going to be a blessing. But if you don't, if you disobey me, uh, there is going to be curses, and, and you're going to feel it. And so that, that's the theme that constantly runs through the Old Testament, uh, asking the people to, to love God and to obey Him and to follow after Him and to receive His blessings because He's chosen them. And then He says, if you're not, um, you're going to pay the price. It's not because God's going to get you because you're not a good person, but because if you don't follow after God, there are consequences. And so we, we come to, uh, that this aspect, uh or this part of the Bible and in chapter twenty eight of first Chronicles I will deal in it just a bit, but David is given a charge, King David to his son Solomon. Hey, you're going to be the next king. And this is going to be the third king. King Saul was the first king, King David, and then his son, King Solomon. And David wanted to build a temple. He wanted to build a church. And he's getting everything ready to do it, and God stops him. He says, you're a man of war, and you're not to build my temple, the dwelling place for me. I'm going to give it to your son. And so in chapter 28, he is telling his son, Solomon, look, I can't build the church or the temple. You're going to get to build it. And he gives him a charge. And then he comes to Chapter 29, and he gives a charge to all the assembly, all of Israel, and says, This is something I want to tell you. And we'll start with chapter 29 of 1 Chronicles, and I'll read through verse 22. Verse 1 And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, for the The palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. And so I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able. And the gold for the things of gold, and the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and the wood for the things of wood. Beside great quantities of onyx and stones of setting, and tenement colored stones of all sorts of precious stones and marble, Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the house of my God, I gave, I have a treasure of my own gold and silver because of my devotion to the house of my God, and I give it to the house of my God. Three talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and seven thousand talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the house. And for all the work to be done by the craftsmen, go for all the things of gold and silver for all the things of silver, who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself together to the Lord. Then the leaders of the Father's house made their freewill offering, as did also the leaders of the tribes and the commanders of thousands and of thousands and the officers of the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in care of Jehiel the Jesuit. And then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head above all, both riches and honors come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offering willingly? For all the things come from you, and of your own we and own your own have we given you, for we are strangers before you, sojourners. As all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O oh Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you tested the heart, and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now, I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O oh Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord, to the king. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord, and on the next day offered burnt offerings to the Lord, a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, and a thousand lambs, with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all of Israel. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. Thus is the reading of God's Word. I know a little bit uh, about what is, is happening in your church. And um, if you looked at my title, uh, I said, looking to the future. This, this sermon is about looking to the future. You, as a church, are looking for a new pastor You have a new search committee. Um, Our church, at First Presbyterian Church, we went through what you're going through now. Uh, A number of years ago, we went through two and a half years of looking for a pastor. I pray for you, you do not go through two and a half years. But, um, just for a word of encouragement, it usually takes about 16 months. That's the average in the PCA. So you may be above that, you may be behind it, I don't know. But, One of the things that I found in our church, uh, you'll do one of two things. Uh, You'll either shift into neutral. you ever been in your car? I drive our our old church van, and it's hard between neutral and and reverse. And we were working this week, and it'll shift into neutral, and I'll hit the gas, and it won't go anywhere. And uh, it's easy for a church to say, well, we'll just shift into neutral. We don't have a pastor right now. So we'll just kind of float along. Or you'll have some direction and you'll go somewhere. Hopefully you'll go forward. You won't go backward. My encouragement to you as a church that there's a direction that you can have and that you can go forward. question I have is, does God's word speak to our church in the midst of Transition. Uh, I say it does, and that's why I read this passage today. Because in this passage, we have the greatest king of Israel, King David, leaving, and he's turning over the reign to his son Solomon, who will be known as the wisest. And in his reign, they'll have great peace. But there's a transition, and there's a little uneasiness. Anytime we go from one leadership to another in the aspect, there's uneasiness. okay, Because we know what we had What will we get with the new? But God speaks to us. Uh, Our church uh, moved about 22 years ago. We were downtown in Hattiesburg, and we moved to the west side of town. And I happened to be on the staff then. And uh, I saw that building, and uh, we've kept the blueprints. The blueprints of the original church is in the library. And I know that because from time to time... We'll have something that goes wrong with the church, and they'll come and they'll look, where the blueprints? We need to find the original blueprints. And the blueprints are a guide. They see the big picture that tells you if they're meeting all the codes. We have just finished, and since the first 22 years, we've just finished building another two buildings. And we walked through this last building, and they were pointing out all the things that the city of Hattiesburg and the state of Mississippi demand and saying this meets this code, this does that. And they said, here are the blueprints. The blueprints are a guide that the builder, the contractor looks at and he builds according to that guide. I suggest to you that God is giving you a blueprint about this church and what you're going to do in the future. And I suggest... Not because Knox Baird is telling you this, but there are a couple of things that you can do right now before you have your new senior pastor. And then when you get your new senior pastor, that will take this church from where you are and will take you forward in the building of God's kingdom. I don't know if you ever saw the movie City Slickers um in that uh it's it's about these guys from New York that, that go out west and they're trying to find themselves and they all have different problems and they get in a cattle drive an old fashioned cattle drive and they're driving cattle from one place to another and they're paying for that privilege but uh, in the movie there's this old grizzled cowboy named Curly and uh, there's a guy named Mitch and uh uh Curly is this hard-bitten cowboy, and they're all kind of scared of him. And and, uh, as they get to know him during the cattle drive, he kind of opens up a little bit. And and Curly's trying to impart uh, some wisdom to this guy named Mitch. And Curly says to him, he says, do you know what the secret of life is? And he holds up his finger. And and Mitch um, says, what, this, your finger? And, And Curly says, no, it's just one thing, one thing. You stick to that. And the rest doesn't mean anything. And Mitch says, well, what's that one thing? And Curly says, well, that's what you have to find out. And in our church, in our denomination, we've been given something called the catechism. And you know what the first question of the catechism is. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? What is the great purpose of man? And that's to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You know, that's each, I think each year they do some kind of uh, question to all college campuses. And that's always the, the, the question, the number one question that all college kids have, hey, why am I here? And I have a feeling that's probably some of the young people here too. I hope it is. I don't know why you're here at church. I hope it's because you want to hear something. But if you don't hear anything else, the answer to that one thing is the purpose for your life. Because in 25 years, I hope you're still around. I hope you're still in this church. Maybe you'll remember this. But you say, what is your purpose here on this world? To go to school? You know, to get married, have a job, make a lot of money? Have a good life and then you die? You know, that's kind of what Steve Jobs, you know, who just died this week from Apple Computer. They kept showing... um, Views of him speaking at Stanford University after he had supposedly beat cancer. And one of the things that he said is, we're all going to die, which is pretty true. And then he kept saying that death kind of cleans out the old and the, the young people come in and, and they're the new. And uh, that's the way that the earth of kind of cleaning out and bringing in the new. Well, that is true, unless Christ comes back between now and whenever we die, everybody in this sanctuary is going to die. And when you stand before the living God, and I don't know, I guess things come through your mind like this. I haven't done it yet. But will you be saying, how is he going to look at my life? And what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with your life? And really, what are you going to do with this church? David gives the answer, and the leaders and the Levites in chapter 28. He says, Here's the one thing, as Curly said, you've got to find that one thing, and that's in verse 9, in verse, or chapter 28 of 1 Chronicles. And David's talking to his son, and he says, And you, Solomon, my son, know the Lord your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. And it's not just know about God. When the Bible talks about knowing somebody, it's really, the Bible says, it's it's the idea of, of a man and a woman having sex. It's that intimate, knowing them. And you can't know anybody closer than a husband and a wife. And God is saying, I want to be as close to you as a man and a woman. And that's what it means to know God. It's not to know about. I know a lot about different people. But God says, I want you to know that intimately, me. And the, the strange thing about it is God wants to know us, and he wants to have a relationship with us. I don't know about you. I just You look like you're pretty neat people, and you, some of you look like you got it together. But I don't know why God wants to know me, because I know my heart. I know I'm a sinner. I know I fail a lot. I know I'm a sorry excuse for a Christian and a pastor many times. And God says he wants to know me. And God invites me to know him as well. David says to his son Solomon, I don't care what you do, but you know God. And I would encourage you as a church, that would be an overriding arch, an overriding rule that every member gets to know God. What are the marks of people that know God? I hope you're thinking about yours. Do I know God? I mean, if I die, Steve Jobs died at 50, I don't know how he was, 57 or 56 or somewhere. He was in his 50s. I would hope that you would say, I know God. But what are the marks of a church that know God? I say there are three things. We get them from this passage number one is that a God wants us to serve him and he wants this church to serve him Psalm 102 says serve the Lord with gladness come before his presence with singing the serving that God wants is a service that comes not through a legalistic heart or an attitude that says hey I've got to serve God or he's going to pound me no no I want to serve a God because I love him and there's great joy. I don't know how you really measure that because that's more of an individual thing. But whenever you serve, I noticed that uh, David was talking about the need for somebody to do kitchen cleanup. You know, that could, you can serve God with great gladness and joy in cleaning the kitchen or by painting the stripes on the parking lot. Which, by the way, I think I messed up. As I was looking, I couldn't tell if I'd parked correctly or not. So I'm sorry. So I would agree, park, paint the stripes. But, um, you know, serve the Lord with gladness. Not through a legalistic sense of duty. Not by giving half the effort. Don't you just hate it when you're passionate about something and you're giving it your all and somebody that you're depending on, they're just going through the motions. They don't even care. There's God. Here it is, God. One of the things that you see in the book of Malachi. That's the last. That's the last book in the Old Testament that was written before the Matthew, or really the New Testament comes. Malachi is a priest, and he's hammering the people. And guess what? He's not only hammering the people. He's hammering hammering the priest and the clergy as well. He says this. It says that. You guys are giving God the second and third and the fourth choices. You're not giving Him your best. You're giving Him lame lambs. They're they're blind. They're polluted. And God says, I want the best. Don't give second-hand sacrifices to God. Don't give God the leftovers. Isaiah tells the people that they're to come to God... With actions, not lip service. Because God sees our hearts. See, that's the thing about God. He knows what's going on in our lives. And He can see. See, I can fool you and you can fool me. But we can't fool God. And God asks us hey, serve me with some joy, serve me with some passion. The one thing that you have to figure out here is how am I going to serve in this church? From the youngest to the oldest, how am I going to serve this church? Second thing, by seeking after God with all your heart and mind, David tells that to Solomon, his son. He says, seek after him and serve God with a whole heart and a willing mind. James four eight says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your heart, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Seek to know God. You know, If I really want to know something that I don't know much about, I'm going to go somewhere. I'm going to go to the computer. I'm going to go ask somebody. I'm going to really seek after. In my household, we have a little saying. My wife will say, go in and try to find a pot or a pan in the kitchen. And I'll open up a cabinet and I'll kind of rummage around a little bit Says, I can't find it. And she'll yell at me, she says, look for it like a woman. I said, gotcha. And that means when you look for something like a woman, you take everything out until you find it. Okay? I mean, you pull everything out. And so, I said, that's seeking. You pull everything out and you look for that pot and that pan like your life depends upon it. That's what God wants us to do. Seek after him with everything you have. Don't go, okay, that's it. Spend time, make effort. To seek after God because God is more precious, His relationship. As a Christian, knowing Jesus Christ, we're called to seek. And the wonderful thing that we I read from James 4.8 draw near to God and He will draw near to you. You're going to have to seek. God's word is your is your blue book or is your, your blueprint to how you get to know God. We can tell you some things. The elders, the deacons can. But if you really want to know Jesus Christ, you get into this Bible. Young people, if you're a Christian, I hope you guys are Christians. I don't know. I'm not down here. And not just the young people, but the elder. But I say this to you, young people, because you got your life ahead of you. Man, I hope you got a Bible. I'd be reading it. If you're a Christian, be reading the Bible because it will stead you. you will keep you out of trouble. It will direct you. It will guide you. I wish, and sometimes I could go back to your age. And I wish, if if I, one thing I did, wish more. I wish I read my Bible more and I memorized more Scripture. Because when you get to my age, your your mind goes a little bit. But guess what? Just because we're not 16, 17, 18, you can be 90 years old. We're still to seek God. We're still to be in His Scripture. And we're to look after our Christ. Because he's looking after us. The third thing he says. To be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Why do we need to be strong and courageous? You know. God said the same thing. To, to Joshua. When he was going into the promised land. He said be strong and courageous. Joshua had for 40 years. Watched Moses and the people, and seeing all kinds of wonderful things that that God had done. But again, when there's a vacuum in leadership, when there's a change, we're not so sure of ourselves. And we're not so sure that God is going to be with us like He was with this other pastor, or He has been in the past. Be strong and courageous. We can be strong and courageous if we know that in the future there's something going to be waiting for us. And we know that there's great hope because we know if we will get through this certain period of time, there's going to be something good waiting for us on the other side. Guess what? Whenever we get through this period of time, and I would encourage you as a church, you'll get through this time. You're going to get a new pastor. More importantly, you're going to die one day. If you're a Christian, you're going to go to heaven. That's what you look forward to. That's why you have to be strong and courageous because, let me tell you something, it's not always easy following God. It's not always wonderful being a Christian. I hope you all know that. It's easy to give in to your sinful self and to your heart. But He calls us to be strong and courageous, to be obedient to God's Word because He's going to be with us because we have hope in the future. So, our church... We're to serve God, we're to seek after God, and we're to be strong for God. The passage I just read is really divided up into two aspects for the church or for the people. The first part, it says, hey, be prepared and use your gifts. The second part is, God's great and you ought to be humble. David tells Solomon the people that the work is great, that there's a temple to be built, a palace to be built, and the place that's going to be built is for God. It's not going to be for men. I've already mentioned this briefly, but there is no small work for God's kingdom. Whatever you are called to do, it's not a small thing. I don't care if you're just greeting somebody out front or if you're cleaning up the kitchen, or you're working in the nursery, or if you're painting stripes on the parking lot for God's kingdom, if you're praying for somebody who knows, they may never know there is no small thing for God's kingdom. A lot of times we look up the front and we say, well, they're the ones that are in charge. That's not. There's no small work for God's kingdom. The only thing that is wrong is when you do no work. No service for God's kingdom. In verses 2 through 5, David states that all the people are to give to the building project. And he says, look, I'm giving. And it's quite a sum that he's given. But he says, look, I want you to follow these blueprints. And I want you to give because you're giving to a place that's going to house God's kingdom in the presence of God. Give to it. Colossians 3.23 says this, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever you give. You know, there's only really two times in the New Testament that God says, Hey, everybody, I want your full attention. I want you to look at this one thing. There's only two places in the New Testament. The first one comes when the widow gives her mites. She gives two little copper coins that are less than a penny. And that's all she had. And Jesus makes a big thing out of it. And he draws their attention. He says, she's given everything she has. That's a big deal. Whatever you do in God's service and for this church, do it for God. Don't do it for the people that are around you, that are watching. Do it for God. The second thing is is that you're to use your spiritual talents and abilities. Listen to what Ephesians 4.12 says. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Listen to Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are all given spiritual gifts, and guess what? God expects you to use them. If you don't know how to use your spiritual gift, go talk to an elder. Go talk to a deacon. Talk to women in church. Talk to Andy. Each person here that's a Christian, you have a spiritual gift that God has equipped you. My question to you, are you using it? Churches that are moving along, no matter if they're big or they're small, they have a large portion of their congregation giving of themselves and giving of their spiritual gifts for the kingdom of God. I do hope and pray that A you know your spiritual gift and B, you' are exercising it. Through verse 6 of chapter 29, it says, "The leaders of the Father's house, they see that David has given, then they start giving. Leadership, and I'm I'm talking to the leaders right now, the elders, the deacons, the women in the church, uh, we are people who follow. If our leaders are leading, the people will follow. If they are leading with great joy, our people will follow with great joy. And David, he gives everything. By the way, this is not mine, but if you, Divvy up what David gave then, and you put it in today's dollars, he gave almost, they think, between $100 million and $500 million, somewhere in there. He gave a lot of money towards this, and most of it was his own. And so he believed in this, and he gave it. Okay, He wasn't just giving lip service. He gave some real money. Serving and giving... Of ourself is to be a visible example, do you know why it's important that we come to the worship service? Well, there are a couple of reasons why one of the most important reasons, and I got this from one of my seminary professors. he said because when you show up, you're ministering to somebody else. There's somebody in this worship service right now that's looking at you and saying, "I'm glad that they're here, and they encourage me." One of the things that you are to use, your spiritual gift, is you are to show up. You are to show up to the worship service, which is the second part of the blueprint that we we seek, we serve, we're to be strong. And that's a giving of ourselves and relying upon God. The last part, verses 10 through 22, David says basically this. He says, guess what? God is a great big God in We as a people, we're not that great. We're not such hot stuff. And everything good that we have that comes to us comes from God's hands. And he's given it to us. And he says that over and over. Verse 11, O Lord, God is the greatness and the power and the glory. And he says both riches and honors come from you and you rule over it all. If you have a wonderful mind here, if you have a strong body... If you have a great job, a wonderful marriage, great children, whatever, guess what? God has given that to you. It's a blessing that he's given it to you. And he's given it for you that you may honor him and glorify him. After David has given everything that he has, and after he's given the plans to the people and said, look, this is the blueprint, this is what the temple is to look like, he then leads the people in worship of God. And they recognize that everything, all the blessings they have, They come from God. And one of the great problems in our lives and for Christians is to start thinking, hey, you know what? I've earned this. I've earned this money. I've earned this house. I've earned this position. I, I, I. It's all that I have. God has given it to you. And we're to be humble. And we are to be thankful. There's a tendency for us to say on the other end, say, God, you just stay over here in the corner. And I'll use my gifts and abilities, and I'm going to build this church. And we're going to maneuver, and we're going to go our way, and we're going to do our thing. And God, we just want you to kind of throw some holy blessings our way. The blueprint for this church is always to go, say, God, are we going in the direction that you want us to? Are we doing the things that you've called us to do? Are we doing it according to your word, by the power of the Holy Spirit? Is this pleasing to you? Are we going in the direction that you wish to lead us? I think there are three things that can help us to know that. Number one, are we a thankful people? This last week, in Hope for Hattiesburg, that's something that we were doing in our community. We were working on four or five different homes in a poor section of town. I was so glad in my heart for the people that we helped They would constantly say, we're so thankful. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for doing this. We were going to do it whether they thanked us or not. But I tell you what, you know what Jesus really hates? He hates somebody that doesn't have a thankful heart. You know how I can say that? Because in Luke 17, he heals ten lepers. And he says, go show yourself to the priest so you can be healed. And guess what? Only one comes back to thank God. He says, thank you for healing me. And guess what Jesus says? Where are the other nine? Didn't I heal ten? Where are the other nine? Aren't they thankful? Aren't they grateful? I'm, I'm a big believer that God sees that. And when we are not thankful for God, to God, He knows that. And we are to say, God, thank you. Thank you for the blessings that we have. Thank you that we live in America. Thank you that we have a church, like First Presbyterian Church of Biloxi, that preaches and teaches God's Word. Thank you for the men and women here that love us, that will come alongside and serve us, and we can serve you. We're to be thankful. Number two, we're to be humble people. There is a lot for us to be proud about in our lives. But God constantly says, look, humble yourself before me. Humble yourselves. That's not saying, well, I just can't do anything, but it's saying, look, blessings that I have have come from God and I know like tomorrow can be taken away. Humble yourselves by understanding God. Number three, give some heartfelt worship and praise to God. When you come to the worship service like this, do you come with a thankful heart? Do you come with a humble heart? Do you come with a heart that says, God, I want to, I want people to know that I love you. And this is important to me. Or do you come and say, about time he quits preaching. You know, the saints are getting ready to play or my stomach is rumbling. Let's get out of here. Because if that's that's what you're getting out of it, then uh, that's all you're going to get out of it. You come to praise God. The last part, and I conclude with this. After publicly David had installed Solomon and he had said, Look, here's a blueprint for building this palace. Here's our worship we've just given. You know what they ended up doing? They're going to do what you guys are getting ready to do in a minute. They're going to go eat. It says that after all this, they got together and they offered sacrifices then they ate and drank before the Lord's great gladness. I don't know next time you have communion, but this you see communion out throughout the Bible. When we come before the Lord's table, it's communion, it's fellowship with one another, just as you're going to go in fellowship and communion. I hope you will, just a second back here. The Lord's Supper is communion and fellowship with God. And it's great joy. And it's understanding that God, we want to serve you. And we want to participate with you. And we want to get to know you. That's how it closes. My prayer is for this church that you're not stagnant and neutral till you find your next pastor. But that you're strong and courageous and that you don't give in to Satan and to the temptation. Say, oh no, we can't do anything. We don't have a senior pastor. Don't be that way. Number two, I hope that you're seeking God. Like a woman, we're looking for things. Like a woman, we're seeking after God. And I hope that you're serving God. And you know, one of the great things about not having a senior pastor, everybody gets a chance to step up and to serve. We don't always look to the pastorate. I hope everybody's serving. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you now, Lord, we thank you that David announced to the people and to Solomon that you had chosen Solomon. It just wasn't David choosing Solomon. Father, you had chosen Solomon. You have chosen us. And we're not the best and we're not maybe the brightest But, Father, we are loved more than we'll ever know. And so we have an opportunity to, Father, to participate in building your kingdom within this church. And, Lord, I pray for First Presbyterian Church, Biloxi. Lord, I pray it doesn't take 16 months to find a pastor. Lord, may they find a pastor sooner. But more importantly, Father, may they be strong. May they seek after you. Father, may they serve you. And may they be a joy to the community that's watching, saying, Do you guys believe anything in your life that will help me? Lord, may the watching world say, I want to get to know this Jesus Christ because I see the people at First Presbyterian Biloxi and they've got something that I need. Lord, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.